This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Over the years, I've read vastly using books in many alternate formats. The first book in alternate format that I read was a large print, abridged version of Pride and Prejudice with a handheld magnifier. Once I got to university, I read my first audiobook. It was Lady Chatterley's Lover, and I thought I was being so rebellious by reading a previously banned book, with my parents none the wiser. My first and only Braille book was the collected works of Stephen Leacock, which I attempted to read while teaching myself Braille. All this to say that books in alternate formats have been a source of joy, companionship, and knowledge for me, and dare I say, for many others. Today, we discuss books in alternate format. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joita Gupta, and I hope that everyone is staying safe and hunkering down. I know it's a long weekend, so it's going to be an unusual celebration for Easter. We're not going to be able to see the friends and family and get together in the way that we normally would. But hopefully you've been able to carve out some time to spend outdoors. I know the weather is improving in many parts of the country, so maybe go on some long walks or try and, you know, spend some time soaking up that sun if you have some sunshine and just make the most of the long weekend. And just remember that hope is on the horizon. We've got vaccines being rolled out everywhere. So if you're considering getting a jab or getting the vaccine, uh, do look into how to make that happen for you. If you are now in an eligible age group, you might be able to register and get that happening. Um, There are lots of things you can do over the long weekend. And one of the things that I love to do is to get caught up on my reading. I find that with the best of intentions, I say to myself, you know what, I'm going to read an hour before bed every night. And then I get so tired that I'm basically out like a light. So a long weekend is a really good chance to get caught up on some of those eBooks and some of those audiobooks that have piled up. And so I'm very delighted to welcome to the program, Lori Davidson, who is the executive director for the Center for Equitable Library Access. Now, you would, of course, be hearing from Sila on a fairly regular basis if you tune into Now with Dave Brown. But today, Lori joins us to talk a little bit about Sila's funding and what's going on there. Lori is in Vancouver, British Columbia. Lori, welcome to The Pulse. It's good to have you on the program. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. So for those of us who aren't in the know, what is Sila? Yeah, so SELA is a national not-for-profit organization that offers an accessible reading service to people with print disabilities in Canada. And print disabilities include um, three broad areas, um, uh, those who are blind or low vision, uh, those who have physical disabilities that impact a person's ability to read or manipulate a physical book, uh, and those who have learning or cognitive disabilities such as dyslexia. So SELA produces and distributes accessible books in both digital and physical formats. That includes Braille, audiobooks, and accessible e-books to people with print disabilities in Canada through the network of Canadian public libraries. And our collection currently provides access to close to 900,000 titles. Uh, We provide uh, this service along with our colleagues at NELS, which is the National Network for Equitable Library Service, um, who also is a national not-for-profit organization that offers accessible reading service as well. 
Do you have any idea about how many Canadians might rely on books in alternate format in any given year? Yeah, so we service uh, people with print disabilities. It is estimated that more than 3 million people in Canada have print disabilities. And of course, that number is expected to grow as the population uh, ages. All of those uh, people can get access to our services. So those who have print disabilities can get access to our services and then are able to access our collection. Uh, so that number of people can benefit from services and um, Every one of those uh, folks who have print disabilities, um, there's a diversity of reading needs out there. And so that it's important that our service is able to respond to that diversity of reading needs. Some people read in Braille, some people need audio, some people need audio and text combined. There's a number of different reading needs that happen based on that diversity of print disability. Do you find that the bulk of the people who rely on books in alternate format are people over the age of 65, or are you catering to an audience that is a bit wider when it when you consider just the age range? Yeah, we service people from, from kids. Uh, lots of our users are educators um, who work with students. Um, many of those students may have, it may be, have low vision or blind, but also may have learning disabilities. So there's certainly a wide range of our users who are children. Um, we also, of course, uh, all through the range of adulthood, and each of those uh, people choose to access our services differently. So as I said, we do deliver in physical and digital formats. So some of our older readers may prefer reading audiobooks, for instance, on CDs, whereas some of our younger readers, of course, are more conversant with technology. But of course, there's a wide range within that group as well. Mm. Well, there's no denying that you provide an important service for Canadians. Tell me what you've heard about your funding from the federal government. Yeah, so um, just a little bit of background on, on, on our federal funding situation. So we do receive federal funding as well as provincial, territorial and municipal funding. We get our funding from a combination of sources, but we rely heavily on that on our federal funding. And so this last um, year in the fall, um, in the fall economic statement, uh, the federal government did release their fall economic, uh, economic statement. And in that statement, it did show that funding uh, for NELS and SELA, what they call the alternate format um, sector, uh, would be reduced by 1 million annually beginning in 2021, being reduced by 1 million each year um, until down to $0 in 2024-25. Uh, so both of our organizations, obviously, we're looking at a 25% cut starting this coming fiscal year, and neither one of our organizations had been given advance notice that these cuts were planned. Uh, so through January and February, we um, we had meetings uh, with uh, Minister Qualtro's office, who is the, the minister that, that oversees this funding. Uh, we had uh, representatives from her office, uh, and though those conversations were positive and certainly spoke uh, to the importance of accessible reading. Uh, there still wasn't any movement on reversing those cuts. Uh, so as some of you may be aware, on March 1st, March 4th, we launched an awareness and advocacy campaign uh, to get the public involved, um, libraries involved. Um, that could be uh, users, it could be uh, friends and family of users, general public organizations to, uh, to really um, write letters to MPs and let people know how important um, accessible reading services are and why the funding shouldn't be cut. So we did secure, after our advocacy campaign started, we did secure a meeting with Minister Qualtro 
um, and on and after that meeting, uh, their office, um, Mr. Qualtro's office, released a news release that did announce uh, the reinstatement um, of the $1 million that was going to be cut in this coming fiscal year. Uh, so that was great news. It was great news to hear that um, that $1 million would be reinstated to us so we would be not facing any cuts for this fiscal year. So for the year starting um, tomorrow, April 1st. So that's great. What we didn't get from them, though, was any kind of commitment to ongoing and sustained funding. Um, and so this is really the, the space that we are in right now. That though we've got our funding reinstated for the coming year, we don't want to be in this same position next year, uh, looking at next year, like a 25 or a 50 percent cut in our funding for next year. Uh, mm. So uh, based on our conversation with Minister Qualtro, she did say that she was open to having um, conversations with us and with other related stakeholders to come up with a long term strategy and funding solution for accessible reading. Uh, we do know that Minister Qualtro has been a huge supporter of people uh, with print disabilities and a huge supporter of this work. Um, and so we will now be engaging in those conversations with um, with our goal, of course, of securing that long-term funding solution for accessible reading services. Well, I'm very happy to hear that, at least for this upcoming fiscal year, they've uh, decided to reverse that decision and reverse the funding cut. Before we talk a little bit more about the awareness campaign that you've launched um, and what you would like to see people do to remain involved and remain in the know, I'm curious about what a 25 to 50% cut to your budget would mean for the Canadians who rely on the books in alternate formats that you produce, I mean, what does this actually mean for your services and for what you you have been doing for Canadians? Yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks for that question. So in terms of the landscape of published content, it is um, estimated that fewer than one in 10 books um, that are published worldwide uh, are available in accessible formats. So a great deal of the work that we do and that we um, that we use that federal funding for is to produce books in accessible format. So a book that is published that might only be available in um, in a physical book format, uh, we may, for instance, produce it in human narrated audio. So somebody can listen to an audio book with a human voice. Uh, we may produce it in Braille so that somebody can either get it physically in Braille or use a refreshable Braille display, display um, to read in Braille. Um, or, um, if, or if it is not available in digital format, we may make it into an, an accessible ebook. Um, or if it is already in an ebook or a digital format that is not accessible, we may need to remediate it to make it accessible so that somebody who is using a screen reader or other assistive technologies um, um, can read it successfully in the not only in the format of their choice, but using the, the technologies or the reading device of their choice. So mm -hmm. if these funding cuts were to go through or if we were to look at um, a reduction in funding, the amount of material that we could produce in accessible format would be significantly reduced. And this is, of course, very significant in terms of choice and in terms of availability of reading. The other uh, piece that we use the funding for is distribution. So um, through our catalog and through our services, we offer a number of formats for delivery. Um, and so people can download it digitally and download it, say, to their smartphone um, or uh, download it to a daisy reader. 
But mm -hmm. um, in addition to that kind of downloading functionality, um, if you are somebody, say, who is not comfortable with technology or lives in an area that doesn't have good internet connectivity, uh, we also offer physical delivery options. So we will, for instance, deliver CDs, audiobooks on CDs, and we will also um, de deliver Braille uh, in physical Braille format. So embossed, embossed Braille, we'll, we'll send out to users. Um, and so that distribution service um, is also critical to our services, and that would be potentially affected with our federal funding cuts. And in addition, um, some of the funding that we get also goes towards the support, support of our IT services. So that's to mm -hmm. the support of our system that does um, provide the digital delivery and for being able to not only maintain it, but to add new features and to move forward um, uh, in our technological world to offer, to offer our services. My name is Joita Gupta, and my guest today is Lori Davidson, who is the Executive Director for the Centre for Equitable Library Access. Lori, one of the things that the government said, almost as a justification for the funding cuts, is that they believe the publishing industry can pick up the slack and deliver books in alternate format. How do you react to that? Yeah, so the federal government has stated um, that their strategy going forward um, for accessible reading is to support a transition, what they call a transition to industry for the production of born accessible books. Um, and we also know that in 2019, the, federal, the federal government announced an investment of $22.8 million over five years for the development of an initiative to support um, the production and distribution of accessible digital books within the Canadian independent publishing industry. So this funding, the $22.8 million, it flows through the Canada Book Fund, which comes out of the Department of Canadian Heritage, and it is really um, has as its goal to enhance capacity within publishers uh, to produce born-accessible books as a part of their digital production process. So born-accessible, I'll just do a quick definition of that. Born-accessible books means that at the time of creation, they are made to be accessible so that anyone, um, including those who are accessing books with assistive technologies like screen readers and braille displays, can read the content at the time of creation. So it means that the book that is put um, into the distribution chain and is sold commercially is accessible from the get-go. Um, and this initiative, I think it's, um, it's market-focused and it's intended to shift the supply of accessible books to a system where accessible books are commercially available at the time of publication. Uh, so the yeah. association, um, we, we have actually quite a close relationship with the publishing community, um, with organizations such as eBound and other Canadian publishing entities. Um, and of course, those, those organizations have been doing a lot of work over the last few years with this funding uh, to kind of assess the current market landscape of accessible books in Canada, uh, making recommendations for um, the implementation of a national certification program for accessible books and for also providing training and awareness about accessible books to publishers. So it's extremely important work. Um, and CELA and NELS, both of our organizations, do support this transition to born accessible books within industry. But I think it's critical to understand that industry is not going to be able to fill all of the gaps. And so that the transition to industry is something that's important. And of course, we want accessible books to be out there and to be commercially um, distributed and available. But at the same time, there is still um, a lot of service that will never be filled by industry. Such so as what? Those, what services? So yeah, yeah, thanks for that. So the areas um, that wouldn't be filled by industry. So 
So I said before, estimated about right now, seven to ten percent of published content worldwide is available in accessible formats. So that's a huge amount of content that is not available in accessible formats. Uh, so even if the industry were able to um, uh, make the transition for all new titles to be born accessible, there still is a tremendous amount of backlist titles um, that still would need to be remediated and made accessible. There's also smaller publishers who don't have the capacity for publishing accessible books. And of course, there's also your international publishers and multinational publishers that aren't covered under this initiative within the Canadian federal government. So there still will always be a tremendous amount of work in just making available and accessible format um, the, the huge amount of literature, published literature that is out there. I know Another some people swear, I know some people swear by the Braille volumes, you know, like 10 volumes of um, Moby Dick and contracted Braille. Are you telling me that perhaps down the road, publishers would start to churn out uh, printed Braille volumes? Or is that something that they just don't have the capacity for? Because I would imagine uh, as devout as the following for that kind of reading material is, um, there's not a lot of people who actually will probably want it. So it's a small market share. Yeah, and I think that's um, that is another piece when we talk about diversity of format. So industry mm-hmm. might uh, will be able to move um, in and do born accessible of ebooks, um, and of course, commercial audiobooks um, have grown uh, in, over the last uh, few years, and there there's much more audiobook production being done commercially as well. But for specialized formats such as Braille, um, organizations um, such as Sela and Nels are are um, critical to ensure that that uh, format is available and can be um, and can be made available to people who rely on Braille for their reading needs. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is um, certainly the 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 producing books in Braille and physical Braille. <laughs> there is a cost involved in that. That uh, certainly for many publishers, um, it, it is such a small market share that it, it is not really a realistic avenue to believe that industry is going to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. A couple another of years back, I, I was, is, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just another area that I just wanted to mention in terms of where our organizations um, uh, operate that won't be filled by industry is that the federal government recognized the importance of accessible reading when it um, ratified the Marrakesh Treaty in 2016. And of course, the Marrakesh Treaty is an international treaty which allows for the exchange of accessible books for people with print disabilities worldwide in those countries that have ratified the treaty. But if we aren't able or don't have funding to produce accessible content, uh, we also then reduce the amount of content that Canada can contribute to that international exchange. And also if our organization's fundings are cut, we also limit our ability to be able to sort of facilitate that exchange of books and to offer then those mm-hmm. accessible books from other countries to uh, people in Canada with print disabilities. Um, so in terms of being able to uh, live up to the commitments to the Marrakesh Treaty, I think it is essential um, that the federal funding um, is maintained. It's funny, I was about to ask you about the Marrakesh Treaty because I was led to believe that that would mean that we would have more accessible books at our fingertips. If anything, I I was going to ask you if it meant that we didn't have as much of a need to produce books domestically. Uh, What would you say say to someone who says, well, we don't need to produce these volumes of these books domestically. You can get them from Australia or you can get them from the UK or from some other country that is a signatory signatory to the Marrakesh Treaty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I would say that we definitely want to work together internationally and that for those books 
um, that are made in accessible formats in Australia, what the Marrakesh Treaty allows us to do is offer that content to our community of users here in Canada instead of every country, uh, you know, producing that accessible format. So it's, it's much more efficient, mm -hmm. of course, to facilitate that exchange of material. And it also opens up just a, a tremendous possibility, um, not only um, from other countries, but we're also in, here in Canada really important to be able to offer accessible books in other languages as well. Um, so what I would say is more than ever, as more um, countries come on board, and of course the U.S. Um, uh, has made the legislative changes, and so they're now on board, and so there's a huge collection of content available. Um, uh, countries within the EU and the U.K. are also making moves towards this, so it's really um there's lots of opportunity here for making this available, but our mm -hmm. organizations facilitate that exchange and really help to work in getting these books back and forth. And so that is the critical service that will need to mm -hmm. be uh, maintained and sustained in the long term. Um, you know, one of the things I've been wondering about is this conversation that I had about, a, I want to say about a year and a half ago, maybe a little less than a year and a half ago with um the chief commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, who sort of drew a line between uh, the lack of supports for people with reading disabilities, including alternate format books, and the many and pervasive challenges with literacy. Do you, because, because I know earlier in our conversation, I did ask you about the age range of the, of the community that you serve. Do you actually see a relationship between promoting literacy for younger Canadians with disabilities, with print disabilities, and ensuring an adequate supply and availability of books in alternate format? Uh, well, yes. I mean, absolutely. What we want to do is ensure equitable access to content. And if um, a published book is not available, um, in an accessible format, then it's not equitable access for somebody who has a print disability and needs um, and, and needs or wants to read that title. So, of course, the production of books or the partnering with publishers who produce accessible books, all of that uh, is to ensure that we are able to offer as much as possible in accessible format to ensure equitable access. And that is why we are a crucial public service in terms of being able to offer that equitable landscape. Mm. Speaking of equity, um, we do have two official languages. I should have asked you this earlier, but do you also provide uh, alternate format books in French? I mean, I'm sure you do in you obviously do in English, but what about French, which is our second official language? Yeah, so yes, we do provide service in, in both uh, French and English. We produce French content. We also have a relationship um, with BANQ in Quebec, which uh, is uh, um, the provincial organization that produces uh, a lot of French content. Um, and we do exchanges of their titles uh, between our two organizations in order to uh, serve both the French-speaking population throughout the rest of Canada, as well as the English-speaking population within Quebec. Mm. And, you know, um, I came across something in the news recently uh, that says that about one-fifth of Canadians speak a language other than English and French. Are we looking at providing books in alternate formats in some of those other languages? Because I'm sure there are people with disabilities who would like to get their hands on them. Yeah, for sure. And that I think I had mentioned before, one of the huge advantages of the Marrakesh Treaty is our ability to be able to access those that accessible content from other countries and other languages. Mm -hmm. um, and that will really help in being able to serve our diverse users who have print disabilities, which is as diverse, obviously, as the Canadian population itself. Um, so there's there's real benefit there. I'm 
for the most part, we do English and French. Um, we're also doing indigenous language, um, some accessible mm. uh, production of accessible books in that, and then really looking at that exchange to really, uh, as much as possible, build our collection to serve that diverse need of, of our Canadian readers. Oh, I had no idea you did books in Indigenous languages. So you learn something new every day. Uh, I want to ask you, just as we sort of wind up the conversation, again, an obvious question. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I mentioned right off the top that I'm going to use my long weekend to dig into some of my uh, ebooks and audiobooks that have been sitting around gathering dust, in a manner of speaking. Um, tell me a little bit about whether you've noticed a blip or a, an increase in traffic to your website or people checking out books in alternate formats because of the pandemic. It's a great way to escape without leaving your home. So, you know, hence, hence making a case for reading for anyone, really. Um, yeah, and certainly our services, um, and we've heard from our users about how critical our services are during the pandemic. So we know that people with disabilities also can experience some, uh, you know, isolation and barriers uh, with regards to their disability um, in the midst of a pandemic, and that reading has been is crucial for their um, mental health and wellness. So we've heard not only from users but also from um, the family and friends of those users, um, how essential our services have been to this very difficult time when people are really struggling with, um, with isolation. Just remind us quickly about how we can get involved with your awareness campaign to save your funding. Yeah, thanks. So as I said, the government has reinstated our funding for this coming year, and we are now engaging um, or will be engaging with the federal government uh, to have conversations to secure ongoing and sustained funding. If you have been involved in the campaign and have already written a letter, what you could do um, if you wanted to do uh, this is do a follow-up letter to thank the federal government for the reinstatement of the $1 million, but to also let the government know how important sustained funding is for this work. We've um, updated our advocacy page on our website um, with updated letters that have some new language um, around what that new letter might look like so that it's thanking the government and then but making sure that they know how important long-term sustained funding is. In terms of um, our campaign right now, we're not actively asking people to write new letters. We're now sort of engaging in the conversation with the government and we'll, we're committing to being as transparent as possible with our, with our users in our community to let uh, folks know the status of those conversations. Um, and of course, um, depending on how those conversations go, we'll let folks know and um, how they can engage again in the future if need be. I mean, our goal here is not to be in this same position at this same time next year. Mm -hmm. No, I quite agree with you. Laurie, thank you very much for being on the program. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks, Joita. That was Laurie Davidson, Executive Director for the Centre for Equitable Library Access. She joined us today from Vancouver, British Columbia. If you missed any of my conversation with Laurie, you can always catch up on it on your favourite podcast platform. You're also welcome to visit ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Laurie Davidson for being my guest on the programme today. The technical producer for the pulse is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a restful long weekend and we'll see you back in this space very soon. Stay safe, everyone.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.